Hi, and welcome to the Miseducation of the SLP. My name is Ingrid, and I'm one of your hosts. And my name is Ashanti. I am your other host. And we are back for episode 10. Hello, guys. We have arrived. (laughs) Nice. We are now at double digits in season three. My goodness, we are like Sasson. (laughs) Fully marinated, ready to cook. Hello. We have been doing this and doing this. Like, you know, we cannot stop. And it has nothing to do with having amazing sponsors. It has to do because we are here for you, our people. (laughs) I was about to say, what sponsors do you speak of, madam? I'm just saying I could use one or two. Yeah, or three. (laughs) But the reality is it doesn't matter whether they're sponsors, whether they're not sponsors. We're really here to focus on getting out important information for SLPs to really digest. And as we grow and continue to strengthen our ability to do that from season to season, episode to episode, and hone in on what is actually going to make a difference in this profession. It's been a huge focus for us to, you know, needle our way into what is the most relevant information that SLPs can use to assist with the diversifying population of patients Mm -hmm. in a climate in which our research doesn't really represent them without it feeling like, oh my God, this again? (laughs) incredible enough you know our country 100 you know the united states of america that we've all been brought up in has been a big huge consistent discussion about differences in all kinds of fashions and how we need to find a way of recognizing them to be equal in spaces and it's an exhaustive conversation i mean you will hear DEI at the top of your lungs, you will hear racism at the top of your lungs, you will hear exclusionary practices at the top of your lungs. It is a constant and even louder experience for most of us that are out here practicing and wanting to just do really good care. Mm -hmm. But in this space of, hey, I see you, sis, because we're all part of this process of providing care and wanting to do optimal care point isn't to really talk about what you don't know and what you need to grow into. The point is more so what don't you know and why does it matter? Why does it matter to understand certain aspects of the marginalized populations, including a variety of diagnoses? Well, let's get in there, Shanti, shall we? Yes, let's dig in. Okay. So when I talk to you about, hey, DEI, what does your brain automatically, number one, go, <laughs> ding, 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 ding. This is what we're talking about. What does it, what bring, what do you think about? Black and brown people. Boy, do you, right? <laughs> Immediately. Now, have those been the only people marginalized in our society? Not at all. There or in our so practice. Right. Right. Or in our practice, what other elements have been marginalized in our society or in our practice, like where there's just not a lot out there for them? Shall we list some? 
Ooh. Oh my gosh, girl. Bring me the tea. Let me right. sip on it. <laughs> uh, let's see. Well, we have the neurodiverged, neuro, excuse me, neurodiverse population. Oh, do you need a speech language pathologist? I do need an SLP's help today. <laughs> You'll have to excuse her. Ashanti is what we call melted brain after taking a midday nap, which yeah, um, I shouldn't have done that. What a luxury must be nice. No, it was my strategy to to prevent the impending migraine from staring at a computer screen. So it was look like how a- she made look how she made more context make me feel guilty about being <laughs> jealous about her nap. She couldn't just let me win that. No, no. She had to develop the context to say, hey, wait a minute. This was not a privilege. It wasn't. This was a, this was a preventative. It was a preventative. Medically measure. necessary yes. experience to, to put myself in a condition in which my brain did not explode out of my skull. Do yes. you see how context matters? Hello, speak <laughs> on it. Yes, girl. This is exactly where we're going in terms of marginalized. I'm sitting here thinking napping is a privilege and you just clearly bum rushed me into the position of no, sis. This was medically required simply because I was having something going on on my end. Yes. Context matters, guys. <laughs> So for the neurodivergent, which is a huge area of speech language pathology that people are really digging into on a regular basis, who belongs in neurodivergency considerations, who doesn't, what does it mean, all of this stuff. And it's such an interesting area of our science that can cover anybody, not just Black and brown folks. How about that? How about that? And because it's a marginalized space, you have a lot of SLPs advocating for it. I mean, there are a ton, a ton of individuals out there. I think even most recently, um, Speech Dudes is his uh, IG handle, came out Mm -hmm. with an assessment that you could even use. With the autistic population, I did have a question for him because of the fact that I'm black. Did he have examples of, you know, how brown children responded to it or and I'm also intersectional in the fact that I'm first generation. So how do immigrants, you know, Mm -hmm. all things that I was like considering with this resource, but I didn't say nothing because I was just like, we going to take that on another day. (laughs) But I'm questions for later. Yeah, I'm sure it matters. um, And I'm sure it was uh, a consideration. But that Mm -hmm. was a development, you know, in the neurodivergent space was creating something that was specific for the neurodivergent population in the variety of things. Because, I mean, his expertise is over 20 years. So there's a lot of value to what he's putting out there. So that's a component of a marginalized area where there's not enough SLP information to really do the care with a level of justification that is patient centered. Mm-hmm. So that's something that we f- ignore, right? Um, what's another area of <laughs> what we would consider DEI that has nothing to do with black and brown? Deaf and hard of hearing. <gasps> oh, snap. <laughs> I mean, that's an entire culture in and of itself. And, and- if you're not considering 
the many cultural aspects of it. You're not being uh, fair. Uh, Go ahead. Girl, say less. Mm, I'm just like, oh, oh, speak it. I can't even get it out. The reality about the deaf and hard of hearing community has a lot to do with the fact that we don't always accommodate for them. Mm-hmm. I have the potential to transcribe and stuff. And I just overlook it because I sometimes miss my own lack of awareness that I'm not transcribing things. And I probably should be, right? So why don't I choose to transcribe? So many people on social media do. It helps with also international individuals that are looking at stories. Sometimes it's easier to read English than just to listen to it in its natural production. Mm -hmm. So I feel like there is a teaching element to the deaf and hard of hearing for me in respects to increasing my sensitivity towards understanding that not everybody can just hear my audio. Mm-hmm. I have to also offer this other other element and platform. And uh, that's a marginalized space. That's a place that people don't always consider taken. And that can look like anybody from mm-hmm. anywhere. Yeah. It's an important component to take in. You know what I think is the probably the most problematic marginalized space? What's that? Individuals with severe diagnoses. Yeah, the medically fragile. Um, especially when you get into really rare syndromes. Uh, where there really isn't a ton of research on what it is that they're impacted by. Um, And then you're not considering that medical diagnosis when you're treating them. You're just kind of, you know, moving the train along and crossing it off the list instead of uh, trying your hardest to be sensitive to what it is that makes their case unique. And the reason we've kind of delved into what exactly is DEI Mm -hmm. is because of that association that it only has to do with black and brown individuals and not with all these variety of subset groups that are also part of the marginalized environment. Now, that being said, when you are approached or dealing with somebody from, let's say, the severely impaired, the medically fragile. Um, and when I say severely impaired, I mean it in the aspects of what we consider to be independent versus dependent. Mm-hmm. So the severely impaired to me is just an increased requirement of dependency. No mm-hmm. matter how creative you are as a practitioner and a provider, there is always going to be a level of dependency to this person. Mm -hmm. So the impairment is something that our society hasn't caught up to, to accommodate for fully enough to create conditions or environmental factors that increase independence. We're not that advanced in our science yet. So these individuals I would consider to be uh, with a low or moderate probability of ever living independent lives. They will always require either 50% or more of support on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's not any, uh, there's not in our society enough uh, provisions to create independence for these individuals. So right. I would, con- I, I consider them to be in that bracket when thinking about them. 
and thinking about, hey, hi, nice to meet you. What is my goal going to be that's functional, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, that's the, the hot word right there is functional. What is going to be functional for this person? Not what did, you know, chapter seven of this textbook teach me? What does this person need in this moment right now, you know? Why does functionality get determined by the speech language pathologist? It does not. <laughs> it doesn't. You have to ask your your client. You have to ask the family, the caregivers, you know, what is it that we can try and, and bridge the gap between what can't be done and, and what is a, uh, an attainable goal. And that's really where the seasoned aspect Yes, I said it, the saison. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's actually where that gets baked in over years. My first year of dealing with somebody with a severe impairment, can I just tell you, we played a whole heck of a lot. And... <laughs> When I was listening to Help Me Grow, IG, hey, bam, 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 Leah and Lindsay, I love y'all guys. Y'all so great. And there was a conversation about the significance of play. It is such an incredible resource for new learning. Mm-hmm. It allows you to open up creativity and imagination and development because it's outside of any parameters. When you offer an individual the ability to create outside of parameters, there's a lot of gains to be achieved that are surprising and actually allows for a different way of achieving a success that you would never thought of. Yeah. It also can put on display um, skills that you didn't know were there. Ooh. And it's just because you you created an environment where they, you know, felt creative. They felt, I don't want to use the word safe, but that's what comes to mind. Um, You know, safe enough to just pretend and be silly and... Before you know it, they're perspective taking and you didn't know they could do that. Or um, an example comes to mind with one of my medically fragile students from last school year was um, he was trialing a new um, AAC system and uh, his, it told his mom, you know, hey, just, just let, him, let him mess around with it. Let's see what he can do. And he basically was like, hey, mom. Let's fire up the Xbox. <laughs> I want to go. Really? I want a game with you. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And she was like, wait, what? I didn't know he had it in him. So, you know, it could be one of those situations where you're creating an environment where the, the client, the student um, will show you uh, a skill that they otherwise would not have had the opportunity to demonstrate. Now the sensation that happens 
when you have the experience where you went from being instructional and being disappointed at the lack of achievement to playful and partnering and you're like, oh, snap, who's this? Mm-hmm. Did you just? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you kind of like clutch your pearls, you know, put your hand up to your neck like, uh, uh, I'm sorry, let me find out. Let me find out you could do all this stuff. <laughs> and we just weren't giving you the, the opportunity to or creating an environment where you could show us. What an important way of phrasing that. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing about a speech language pathologist's role in spaces in which are more dynamic, different than what is structured and comfortably provided, where that is my safe area mm-hmm. to kind of expanding into a space of I'm out of my depth a little bit, but I want to create a safe place for you to explore your strengths and weaknesses the same way. Like I'm going to create an analogy here because I love those. I love the idea of being a mom. Right. And I just keep thinking about how much I'm going to protect my baby and how much I'm going to snuggle my baby. And then I'm (laughs) going to have to put my baby on the ground and then they're going to have to walk. Excuse me. (laughs) and you can't baby proof the whole world and they're gonna have to fall and they're gonna have to maybe they're gonna maybe have to skin their knee is that comfortable for a mom that wants to just cushion and carry and mm, i'm gonna have to pause a little bit on that but that's actually the most ideal space because overprotection causes dependency and debility So you do have to allow those risky spaces. So in the novelty of being a provider where you're like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Lots of moms don't know what they're doing when they first have children, but they do have some level of awareness that I can't overly to steer. I can't overly steer. I -hmm. cannot say to this baby, this is how you walk, like in detail. I have Mm -hmm. to let you wobble your way there Mm -hmm. and let you figure it out. And so in the play-based arena, there's my word again, making it (laughs) a, you know, a little peek. Arena. In that play-based space, you have this child or even this adult, because I'm going to tell you right now, I've done it with grown adults that were considered developmentally delayed because they had lots of diagnoses under them. So they were 32, 33, 35, but presented at 15, 16, 17. And even there, there was an appreciation of play-based experiences because of the idea that there was freedom. Yeah. And creativity in there. And when you get to create without restriction, there is an opportunity for development. And it may not be how I would have taught you to develop it. It is going to end up being how you feel in the moment and create your own lane for it, Mm -hmm. which cannot be taught because I'm not like you. 
you're not like me. We're different in marginalized spaces or in spaces with individuals that show up different from you. You cannot necessarily dictate how the games are going to be made. You have to allow the games to be organically developed through the opportunity of the person to figure it out on their own. Which can be uncomfortable for the clinician because you are going to have sessions where there's a lot of dead air, there's a lot of silence, there's a lot of waiting around for a response. And we just want to fill every single second with <laughs> with words and sounds and teaching. Sometimes you just have to sit and wait and give them an extra minute, an extra however long it takes. Like now. Did that feel weird? Was that awkward? Like, <laughs> yes, it did feel weird. <laughs> exactly. But I knew what you were doing. <laughs> that was like literally maybe a second. It was. And yet, and, and yet it felt like a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And For that's you. what happens in, in sessions when you're waiting an extra whatever amount of time for a response. That is a huge component mm-hmm. of how to get yourself comfortable with the idea that you have to create this. And I'm an expert that knows that you have to create this. Mm-hmm. It doesn't diminish my expertise. It doesn't make me an, an imposter because of the fact that I'm doing this. This is strategic. Mm-hmm. This is scientific. This is actually something that allows for new learning. Yeah. And it's my responsibility as a provider, as an exceptional provider, to be able to understand that there are different approaches that can create outcomes that I'm looking for. And when there is no scientific research, especially in a space where I'm dealing with things I'm unaware of, or I'm not accustomed to, or wasn't studied in research, or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It then becomes my responsibility to be an expert student. Mm -hmm. It's a good way to put it. Because that's what a scientist is. When I'm a scientist in a room, It's not that I'm coming in saying, I know exactly what's going to be happening and I know exactly what the outcome is going to be. I have a hypothesis, but the entire time as a scientist, I wait for the answer. Does it make me any less knowledgeable because I'm waiting for the answer? It allows me to be in a place of curiosity about a new, unique methodology to Mm -hmm. achieve something that no one else thought about before. And that can come from my patient. Mm -hmm. That can come from my student. That can come from any space that you allow to be an equal partner in what is advancements in the big nine which are, as we all know, the core 
elements to speech language pathology. Mm -hmm. So that being said, when I consider, because, you know, I like to consider, (laughs) (laughs) when I consider what has been super successful in my personal career as a speech pathologist, it has been in the experience of saying, I know that the science says this, but I am willing to be smarter than the science that I've been given. And I'm willing to allow you to prove all of it wrong with the potential we stop people's potential and we steer them in the need of where they should be stifled and they don't succeed because we stifled them. Yeah. But functionality, which was our key word, doesn't require steering. It just requires doing, just do it how you do it. Right. Just do it how you do it. Yeah. If our science can do that on a regular basis, if we have the opportunity to give our students, our patients, our peers that we don't really listen to, there there are lots of loud SLPs out here in these streets right now talking about DEI in all the realms we just covered the loudness of them for me is significant. They are screaming at the top of their lungs. Hi, SLP world. We're here. But the reality of using that expertise, it's not as high as it should be. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of missed opportunity to really advance the practice, the entire practice, the entire way that we do this work that can cover all of those bases. And we're really going to dig into that as we continue on through the next portion of the series, because we're going to look at, well, what are people doing that's causing them to be just so good at centering the care around the patient and kind of cooling it. Hmm. You got to cool it now. <laughs> I knew you were going to start singing. Bam, bam. I don't know. I, I, it's just such a good song. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, yeah, but I love this craft. I think you do too, Shanti. Yes. Yes, yes. And it's and, mm-hmm. it's fun sometimes to go go uh, rogue, go off script, and let your your student lead. It's scary because you know you're thinking, well, what data points am I going to be able to record during this session? But quite honestly, you know, when it comes to that functionality and focusing on that, that holds a lot in my. In my opinion, in my heart, the functionality holds a lot more importance than achieving a certain data point. Um, 
yeah, that's more meaningful to families, um, especially when considering the medically fragile. Uh, it's it's more meaningful and more useful to families when when those sort of achievements are demonstrated. And a majority of SLPs are are, are school based. You know, there are yes. those in the adult sectors, but the majority of SLPs are school based. So when we talk about like reimbursement and all that jazz, I'm like, mm. Mm, that's not something you really need to think about. However, there does need to be a medical requirement for an SLP in the school system. Yes. Well, not there medically need- required. There has got to be a um, educational need. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And that that educational need is based on like an appropriate appropriate uh, diagnosis that goes with it. Or correct, correct. Yes, you know, how needs- how. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sorry. We're both doing the same thing. Like being courteous, but go ahead. <laughs> um, you, you know, you're always having to consider how this child's education is being impacted by um, their, the communication abilities that they're demonstrating. Um, and so, you know, there's always the exception to the rule where maybe this child isn't saying this certain sound, but it doesn't impact their education. So should we diagnose them as having a disability? No. But um, yeah, that's a whole nother can of worms, honestly. 100%. We're not going to dive into them today, yeah. but that's that's really the thing. Like you need to have something that really highlights in in an ICD-9 element kind of in yes. your mind in some aspect to say, hey, this is the barrier. So there is a, a component that's causing that. And that's not necessarily everything we're identifying um, in, the, in the schools always. Some people are being picked up even if they don't fit that requirement. So as SLPs, we're trying to just like highlight that, like, hey, that's not a medical diagnosis. That's just something else. And we just have to be really educational about how we go about so that we can reduce our ridiculously expanding caseloads. Yes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, In our next episode, we will be kind of dealing and delving into where do adjacent sciences really help us in patient-centered care? How does that help us in the aspects of having more evidence available to us, more research available to us to dictate and move our care the right way? So that's something that is going to be brought out in many different sciences. And if, um, there is any indication that you are interested in understanding how language is affected by the fact that, or I'm sorry, how cognition is affected by what language you speak and have come from, including American Sign Language, guys, because it's not necessarily spoken, but it does change the way the brain is formulated. You're going to want to tune in on the next episode because we about to get into it and really delve into why this kind of adjacent science really important for what we're doing in practice and how we can really highlight what we're wanting to accomplish with our patients even in the simplest spaces as I know your cultural background I know your cognition I need to treat you with dysphagia because that's actually your problem Mm -hmm. Piecing all that together is going to be really, really beautiful for me to put together for you guys in the next episode. And Ashanti will get the opportunity to be 
part of it because I'm letting her as my co-host. Do you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Anyway, guys, I appreciate you joining us yet again for another episode. You can reach us at miseducatedslp. Um, at gmail.com you can also dm us at ig there's also a facebook page that we never update so feel free (laughs) to roll through and drop us a line but uh we just gonna be real women and just let you know like we're doing our best here and we hope you are learning so until next time bye have a great week